She saw him leave that morning, but he didn't come back that afternoon. He didn't show up that night. Nobody heard from him. The teen's body was found in a rolled up gym mat in a high school in 2013. His death ruled accidental. Say my name and remember what you've done. Your hurricane has blackened out the sun. You can't continue to kill unarmed black people and get away with it. But if Kendrick did die of an accident, how, with all that distrust, how could you even ever show that? But then on the flip side is they didn't treat it like it, it could have been a homicide. Lowndes County Sheriff Ashley Polk announced officials were reopening the investigation. Only angle is to find justice for my son. You are currently listening to Ashes to Ash TV, season three, the investigation of Kendrick Johnson, episode 14, Bells. I sit down with Sheriff Polk once again and ask him how much time is spent on re-going over the boxes of information. It took me um, about 11 months because I read everything in those 17 boxes and reviewed a lot of it. had over 60 pages of shorthand notes. Probably wrote that synopsis, five different versions before I got it exactly where I wanted it. Took a lot of time, but a lot of night reading, a lot of looking at it. And of course, my, my day starts at 4.30 in the morning. You can do a lot more than five to eight when that phone's not ringing. You can have eight to five, so a lot of it's early morning. We didn't didn't rush it. There was no reason to rush it. It was eight years past when we put some out, and I knew it was going to be a very delicate situation. I don't want anything in that document to be where it could be disputed. It could be disputed, but not proven wrong. One of the things that I found interesting is when I first heard about this case, I was concerned about the fight on the bus a year earlier, you know, because Kendrick comes back in a cop car and one of the Bell brothers gets to go home with his parents. Can you talk about what had happened there from well, what you know? The DOJ files and the documentation there from the FBI and everybody else. And the coaches were interviewed on the bus and other students, a lot of this under sworn testimony. It wasn't really a fight. I mean, uh, one of the, the bellboys needed to urinate, and they weren't going to stop the bus because they were on a tight schedule. He was told to get hold of a Gatorade bottle, I believe, and I think like boys will be boys. They said that Kendrick pushed him, and he got urine on him, and and uh, he turned around and swung at Kendrick, and from what I read, there was no physical contact. The coaches broke it up. I think Kendrick might have swung back. But anyway, both of them got barred from riding the bus back, which is standard policy with the coach. His parents, the Bell parents, were at the ball game. It was in North Georgia, up around Atlanta, Grayson. They were there, so their son, the way he got home, he rode back with his parents. Nobody in Kendrick's family was there that they could document. So he, he had a choice. He could have caught a bus, but he rode back in the front seat of a patrol car with a school resource officer that was assigned to the high school who he knew by face and name, I rode in the front seat of the patrol car, and this African-American female he's riding with, I mean, they talked all the way back, probably knowing Shirley, her name was Shirley, mm -hmm. knowing them, probably cutting up, she's a right, likable, funny person, it has to be to work around all those kids. So she gave him a ride back. I've dropped my daughter off in high school, when she was in high school in a patrol car, I mean, so what's so terrible about it? I mean, yeah, she always laughed, she said, I, Got out of a patrol car and the people know who I am. They, they, they thought, what did you get into? But I mean, it was easy way, easy, safe way for him to get back. A lot safer than riding a bus with 
Maybe you don't know. So it was basically just a good way to get him back. There, he wasn't punished different no, than nothing no, like that. Any kind of punishment, no. The document from the sheriff's office reads: This document is the synopsis of the investigation of the death of Kendrick Johnson. All the information is derived from the files provided by the United States Attorney for the Northern District of Ohio. These files, approximately 17 boxes, contain investigative material from the Department of Justice, FBI, U.S. Attorney for the Middle District, Georgia, Washington, D.C. Police Department, Georgia Bureau of Investigation, Lowndes County Sheriff's Office, Valdosta Lowndes County Crime Lab, Lowndes County Coroner, Federal Grand Jury, and additional autopsies by Dr. William Anderson and the Department of Defense. So now that we have this document from Sheriff Polk, which really explains why he decided to close the case, this is really good for us because we can always go back and reference this as we move forward with the investigation. There's a lot more investigating to do. So although Sheriff Polk put out his findings, that does not mean we agree with all of those. So we are looking through all of his findings. And that document's really helpful for us because we can kind of see what he was thinking on each and every point. That's kind of a sticking point in this case. So one thing I'd like to do is go back and see what he said in the document about this particular issue. We use a VO actor to say these lines from the document. Fight on the bus to Grayson, November 28th, 2011. Brian Bell was seated in the row immediately in front of Kendrick Johnson on the bus trip to the Grayson High football game. Brian Bell needed to urinate, but was told to urinate in a plastic bottle. He was attempting to urinate when Kendrick Johnson pushed him from behind and caused him to urinate on himself. Brian Bell got up and swung at Kendrick Johnson, who then swung at Brian Bell. The coaches intervened at this point, and there were no injuries or further fighting. Subsequently, neither subject was allowed to dress out or ride back on the bus. Brian Bell returned from the game with his parents, and Kendrick Johnson rode back in the front seat of a patrol car driven by a female resource officer, Deputy Shirley Demps, since no one in his family attended the game. Testimony by the other students stated that this fight did not appear to cause any animosity between the two. In fact, they later did a class project together. Throughout this, one thing we need to decide is if the finger pointing at the Bell brothers is warranted. I have heard from moment one that the Bell brothers are guilty, and often when I ask them why do you think the Bell brothers are guilty, they often cite the fight on the school bus that was a year and a couple months prior to KJ's death. So at first I was appalled as I heard the details of what happened on the fight on the school bus, and that was because the information that I was getting in was that a black student went back in a cop car and the white student got to go home with his parents. My concern is there, obviously, we see in society a lot where if a black person is adjudicated on a crime and a white person's adjudicated on that same crime, the black person often has a longer sentence or a worse result. And I think when you look at cases in an expansive way, you see that happen quite a bit and the odds are kind of stacked against African-Americans. So I was really concerned when I originally heard about this fight because I thought this was one more time where we're not being fair and equal with anybody of any race. Now I know we've already talked about this, but since I talked about it a few episodes ago, more information has come out, so I would like to discuss this so that we can kind of push this issue to the side for a moment. So I've talked to a handful of people who are actually witnesses to the fight on the school bus, to the aftermath, or to when KJ and the officer got back to the school. So I feel like I've gotten witnesses from all three aspects of this to kind of find out what happens. Now these are people who were actually there. 
The reason often people do not want to be on the show is because they're afraid of losing their jobs. Some of these people still hold jobs that could be taken away from them if they were on a show like this. Another reason is people are afraid of getting sued. There's been a lot of lawsuits going on in this case, so I can understand people's fear of that. Often I'm able to at least take in the information, listen to them, compare it to other things that I've heard to see if it actually holds validity. So once I started hearing actually eyewitnesses who were there that day, it appears that this was not as nefarious as I originally made it out to be. When I talk about it with Kenyatta, KJ's sister, I asked, did you know why the fight started on the bus? Did he ever tell you why? Or he just said that he... Some of it, was, he was playing. So I've really heard two versions of why the fight started on the bus. And one was the boys were telling yo mama jokes and one thing led to another and they ended up getting into a small altercation. Another thing that I had heard is Brian Bell needed to urinate. The bus wouldn't pull over to allow him to urinate because they were on a tight schedule. So he was told to get a bottle. He got a Gatorade bottle to pee in and then KJ pushed him to be funny. He got pee on himself and an altercation ended up breaking out. Now, the thing I find interesting about all the versions I've heard about why the fight started is it seems like it started in kind of a playful banter. It didn't seem like anyone was intentionally being cruel to one another. It just seemed like two young boys who maybe took things too far and then got a little bit angry at each other. One thing I haven't found is anyone who's come forward and talked about this being some sort of racist event, some brutal attack, or anything that would have created a simmering feud between them. I remember him saying that he was doing a lot of playing, that's it. Was there anger from KJ about Brian after that, or did it seem like just one of those fights, oh, it's no big deal, it's over? Yeah, that's how he was. He was no person that's gonna stay mad or nothing like that so he was just through with it after that so really there's a few details about this fight on the bus that i think we need to talk about and confirm right now as far as i'm concerned these details are really kind of considered fact at this point so i'm going to need other evidence to come forward to have me talk about this subject again and the evidence will have to be different than what we've already come forward with here so number one there was an altercation on the bus that came out of some sort of playful banter between KJ and Brian Bell. Two, the altercation was rather mild. From the witnesses I've spoken to, both boys left without a bruise or a scratch on them, so they didn't even really have the opportunity to get into a real physical altercation. And three, the bus driver has to take immediate action. Apparently there is a zero tolerance for fighting on the bus. If you are caught fighting on the bus, you cannot continue to ride on the bus. So the bus driver had to, as part of school policy, is contact the authorities so that they could take care of the altercation on the bus and then the school officers could decide what to do with the kids from that point on. Point four is that the resource officers who showed up to take care of the altercation on the back of the bus following school policy knew that that meant the boys could not suit up for the game and that neither of them could ride back on the bus. From what I can tell, the two resource officers immediately started troubleshooting what they should do with the boys. They checked to see, and Brian Bell had Karen Bell, his mother, at the game, so Brian got to go home with Karen Bell. When they looked for family members from KJ at the game, there wasn't anyone there. So instead of sending him home on, for instance, the city bus, they decided to send him back with one of the resource officers, and her name was Shirley. 
So one thing I think it's really important to point out about the officer who brought KJ back to the school is Shirley is not only a woman, she is also African-American. Not to mention she is a resource officer at Lowndes County High School, meaning she is familiar with the kids, the kids know her by name. KJ and Shirley were familiar with each other and knew who each other's were. So when KJ went back in the car with her, it was not someone he was unfamiliar with. Now, when I first started hearing these stories out of the media, because it had a very racist undertone as far as how the story was being told, I had had the bias of thinking it was a white male officer. So it was really interesting to me when I found out it was an African-American woman. I think that's an important part of this story because when we're talking about racism, obviously then now race plays into the whole system here. And in order to think about that, if there was something nefarious happening, we have to also accept that surely an African-American woman was part of that racist rhetoric that was going on. And I just have kind of a hard time getting my head around that. So it just makes me think that there probably wasn't a racist undertone happening or there wasn't anything more negative happening to KJ than, for instance, Brian. So then one other person whose testimony here I think is really important is Kenyetta, who's KJ's sister. She talks about what kind of spirits KJ was in once he got back to the school. And she makes it sound like the whole incident, KJ kind of played it off as it was no big deal. And, and was he upset that he had to ride in the police car or he didn't even take that? I don't as... think he even cared. It was my mother who was more upset than anything. So first I'd like to say I'm not a parent. So I can't speak to or imagine what it would be like for a parent to have your child driven back to the school by somebody that you hadn't given permission to drive your child back to the school. So I just wanna say I feel some sensitivity around that. I think that would jostle me as a parent. So I'm not making any judgment calls on how Jackie reacted. I might, as a parent, have been just as upset if my kid came back to the school with anyone who I hadn't given them permission to be in their cars. And then to even further this along, I have two firsthand accounts that saw KJ and or either talked to KJ about his experience in that car going back to the school. And he rode in the front seat of her car, first of all, and he chatted with her and played with the radio their entire time. So even the drive back to the school, KJ's not being treated like a criminal. He's just, they're getting him home safely and they're interacting with him as he's just maybe a kid who just did something wrong that they're just trying to get home safely, not as if it's somebody that they're going to punish and arrest. So I think we have to stop thinking about this as he was being punished in some way and instead he was being brought back to the school safely. So again, I'm not saying that this was the right course of action. I'm just saying I don't think it's as nefarious as I made it out to be in my own head. And even if you hear me talk about it a couple episodes ago, I even say KJ was in the back of the car. And that's because I hadn't talked to witnesses who were there. And that's why it's so important to talk to people who were actually there, because I think they can fill in a lot about what was actually happening and what was the emotional state of everybody at that time. And I also think we have to be really careful when we're listening to the media talk about this case because often I feel like they take the salacious route rather than the honest route, or they don't show both sides. And when you only tell one side, it seems really nefarious. But then when you hear both sides or a person who was actually there tell what happened, it just doesn't carry the same weight it did. So even I don't know how sometimes to decipher what's real and what's not. And we have to do major investigations to get that information. 
I mean, here are really some examples of the stuff that I had heard or seen that made me think that this bus fight was possibly more nefarious than it was. The students told investigators Johnson and the younger bellboy, both varsity football players, had a fight on a school bus on the way to a game the year before, suggesting a simmering feud. So in this one news source, it says simmering feud. It kind of feels like there's a darker tone to what happened on the bus that day. Even when you look at the documentary Finding Kendrick Johnson, they put up a drawn image of KJ as they talk about him arriving back to the school. In that image, they show him getting out of the back of a cop car. His hands look like they're behind his back, so it almost looks like he's been arrested somewhat and the feel of the image is chaotic. It doesn't have a soft feeling to it whatsoever. I think that really gives the wrong impression of what happened. It sounds like from Kenyatta, KJ came back and he kind of brushed the whole incident off. He got to ride in the front of the car. He was playing with the radio. I feel like the media in these two cases and in a lot, this is not just these two examples I've shown. It's almost every podcast, anything you hear about this, make that fight sound really nefarious when I just don't think it held the weight that everyone makes it sound like it does. So my outlook on the whole bus fight changed quite drastically after speaking to people who were actually there. Now, if there are witnesses or people who were actually there who experienced something different, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. And I would love to interview you and showcase your interpretation of what happened. I do now require though, for me to talk about this bus incident any further, it needs to be somebody who was actually there that day who saw what was happening because I've spoken to a handful of people now who were there, their stories all line up and they all make sense when you tie them together even. So unless someone can bring forth new information or new witnesses, my head is kind of at this point that it was kind of a banter, ridiculous altercation between two young teenagers that quickly dissipated after the day ended. And from what I can tell, both boys were punished the same. And that punishment was that neither of them could ride home on the bus. And I think they both got that punishment, yet both got home safely. Back with Sheriff Polk, I ask. And at any point going through all of that, was there ever any doubt in your mind that the Bell brothers had something to do with this? None whatsoever. There was no doubt in my mind that it was not a homicide. Nobody committed a homicide. There's nothing there to even remotely make you think there was a homicide. The department took a lot of heat from some of the, especially the liberal media, characterized them as covering it up, not doing the job, not knowing what they were doing. Looking at the files, of course, everybody that did that was trained under me, Winnie Jones, everybody. Um, they did it exactly the way they were trained. It was a thorough job. It stands up right now. It'll stand up in any court of law. It's withstood every lawsuit the Johnson could throw at them. I'm very pleased with the work they did. And we've had a good relationship over the years with the FBI and the Homeland Security people and Secret Service and DEA. Even back in the 90s, I never trusted the Department of Justice. They should be named Department of Injustice. I not only put my word on up, I put a lot of money out there saying that they did a good job. And it's sad that it's been portrayed the way it's been portrayed by some people, but that comes with the turf. At this point, however, I'm just really confounded at why the Bell Brothers are at the center of this. I really wish I could talk to them because I'm just totally confused at how their names got thrown into the forefront as strong as they did with this thin of evidence. So I would really like to know why they feel like that happened and what their rendition of these timelines are and if they feel like they're accurate. 
I mean, really, if KJ was murdered, could it be that he was murdered by somebody besides the Bell brothers? Or could this be an accident? And I think that we have to start looking at those two possibilities because currently the stuff with the Bell brothers just isn't holding water for me. Wrestling team bus departure time. For the Lowndes High School wrestling team to reserve an out-of-city trip, the request must be in writing on a standard form at the beginning of the school semester. On October 24, 2012, the form shows a departure time of 4 p.m. The actual time of the departure was approximately 12.30 p.m. on January 10, 2013. This is documented by sworn testimony from individuals on the bus, the bus driver, and cell phone tower data. The bus arrived in Macon, Georgia, shortly before 4 p.m. The arrival time in Macon is documented by motel check-in time and weigh-in data for the wrestlers. This data also establishes that Brandon Bell was on the bus and at weigh-in in Macon. This also verifies that Brandon Bell left the school campus approximately one hour before Kendrick Johnson was last seen alive in the old gym at 1.27 p.m. on January 10th, 2013. And it appears that even if you look at Brian Bell's school schedule, he's in those last two blocks of class. Is that what you guys found? Actually in a totally different part of the school. There's actually a map in those federal files that shows the track of every person, all, of, all four of those people, the whole school day. Do you think that will ever be available to the public? I would hope the federal judge will open those files right now. They're sealed. I'm encouraging them to. And I think he's a very fair judge. Judge Hugh Lawson is the one that signed the order sealing them. I think he's considering the fact that they should be open. I have a great deal of confidence in Judge Lawson, and he's got a lot of integrity. I think he'll do what he feels is right. One thing that really confuses me and kind of frightens me about this case is that the Department of Justice took over the case and they ended up actually raiding the Bell's home. And it, this is what concerns me about this whole line here, is that why would the Department of Justice raid the Bell brothers' home if they had surveillance video that clearly shows that the Bell brothers were either in class or not on campus at all? So if the DOJ had access to all of that, why would they continue to think that the Bells were a suspect enough to raid their home in the wee hours of a morning to get all their electronics? I'm really confused by how we got to this point. I mean, really just think about that for a moment. Somebody points a finger at you because they say you robbed a store. You know you were an hour away in a bank at the moment they say you robbed the store. So you call the bank and the bank says, yes, we have the surveillance footage you bring the surveillance footage to the authorities and it clearly shows during that time that you're an hour away at this bank and not robbing the store down the road. So now you've provided the evidence that you're not there and it's pretty quality evidence. It's actually video of you somewhere else during the time that the act is committed. And then they continue to pursue an investigation against you. That really frightens me because why would the Department of Justice have the right to continue investigation if they had evidence to the contrary of the person that they were going after? That seems like some really shitty investigating to me. So the only thing I can think here is the DOJ also believed that the surveillance footage had been doctored because really, I don't understand. If you don't think the surveillance footage has been doctored, then why would you ever think the Bell brothers were involved in this? You have to believe that someone fixed the surveillance footage. And I just don't know why the Department of Justice just wouldn't showcase that the surveillance footage had been messed with rather than taking the steps to raid somebody's home. 
I feel like if you could just show how the surveillance tape had been messed with, that would have been a clear indicator that we have a major problem on our hands. They never did that. They, they failed to do that at any point. It appears that we're still going off of the FBI's timeline of where everybody was at what time via the surveillance cameras. If we're going off of that, that clearly shows that they could not have been involved. So why would the DOJ negate all this evidence and still raid the Bell's home? Did they know something that Sheriff Polk doesn't know? Because he got 17 boxes of evidence and he's quite pissed off about their investigation. So why would they know stuff that Sheriff Polk didn't know? They had to turn over all their evidence to Sheriff Polk. I just don't understand what the DOJ knew that Sheriff Polk didn't know. Or did the DOJ just reopen the case from pressure from the community? Again, I mean, that, that makes me feel good that a community can enact another government agency to do an investigation if you think something's wrong. But it's also the responsibility of that next investigative agency to make sure that they have the evidence necessary to push forward with raiding somebody's home. And I just don't know if I feel like that existed in this case. I'd be really curious to see what they had. Why did the DOJ pick up the case initially, do you know? Um, I guess because the U.S. attorney prodded him into it because he, as he said in his statement, it's going to make him famous. It probably did make him famous, but not in the way he did. He wanted to be because he's no longer a U.S. attorney. He knew when to retire. And you know, rats leave a sinking ship. And I can't even say what's everything that's there. And I truly in my heart believe that the reason they weren't released until they were released is they're waiting on some timelines to expire on prosecution on people that were involved in the investigation. That's how strongly I feel about the way the investigation was done by some of the people in it. I want to be really clear here about what Sheriff Polk is saying, and that is that the DOJ is withholding information that will clearly show that the Bell brothers had nothing to do with, the, with whatever happened to Kendrick Johnson because the DOJ is afraid of them themselves being prosecuted for their shitty investigation. So we're not talking about the prosecution of those initially involved in the Kendrick Johnson case. We're talking about prosecution against the U.S. Attorney or the Department of Justice and their actions involving the investigations against the Bell family. And I think Sheriff Polk believes this is possible because he doesn't see why the DOJ had the right amount of evidence to enact a search warrant and to raid the Bell's home. I'm not saying that KJ wasn't murdered, but I am saying that it is very disheartening to me that our U.S. attorney would ever in an email write that this case could make him famous. I would like to know that our U.S. attorney or the Department of Justice are unbiased and that if they do take on a case that they look at the evidence and they don't just go off of what the community is saying or what rumors and speculation are. And so if he did write an email that said that this was going to make them famous, that is really disheartening to me. And I have a lot of concern about that. A letter from the United States Attorney's Office for the Middle District of Georgia to the Washington, D.C. police chief states that this case could make them, quote, famous. Ashes to Ash is created by Ash Patino. Associate producer, Kate Giordano. Crew, Nick Goncalves. Title music, Bones by Eight Graves. Web design for Ashes to Ash TV provided by Second Melody, secondmelody.com. Subscribe on the website for commercial-free content, early access to episodes, uncut interviews, and discounted merchandise. Just go to ashestoashtv.com. A-S-H-E-S-T-O-A-S-H-T.
ashes2ash.tv.com. To follow us on Facebook, please go to Ashes to Ash True Crime and on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram at Ashes to Ash TV. If you have a tip, please email us at ashland57 at gmail.com, A-S-H-L-A-N-D-5-7 at gmail.com. We absolutely can keep you anonymous. If you know of any illegal activity regarding this case, please contact local law enforcement.